Chapter Twelve of the Steel Hammer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Diana Beauvais. The Steel Hammer by Louis Albach. Translated by Elizabeth Warmly Latimer. Chapter Twelve: The Two Wives. At the end of luncheon, Gaston, on rising from table without any apparent purpose, pulled out of his pocket a newspaper, which seemed to take up too much room with his cigar case, and laid it down before him still folded. Then he quietly lighted, with extreme care, the excellent cigar he had selected for himself, and seemed to be making ready to go out. Gabrielle would not prevent him. The newspaper, which she dared not open while he was there, fixed her attention and made her wish to be alone monsieur de monterey desired no doubt to demonstrate that he was a free man and foresaw nothing that could interfere with his liberty he said to gabrielle laughing i have a great mind to take roger with me oh yes do cried the child jumping up in his chair do take me papa roger was not spoiled by his father the intelligent little creature who for the last two days had seen a lowering black cloud over the house, was enchanted at the bright gleam of paternal friendliness, which was piercing the darkness and bringing them all back into gaiety. This proposal to take him out walking was the same thing to him as the promise and the reality of the doll had been to Florence Mortier. It is cold, continued Gaston, but the weather is beautiful for a walk. Then turning to his son, with an expression less like a father's than a grandfather's, he said, i'll take you for a beautiful walk we will go to the champs elysees gaston as he said this was himself undoing his boy's napkin yes that's nice to the champs elysees i shall see punch we will see punch repeated the model father we can go and drink some milk in the bois de boulogne added the child encouraged to go further gabrielle who had been listening to them with a half smile giving the same loving glance to both her children started at these words gaston sucked his cigar and said with rather a forced laugh we can go to the bois de boulogne if you like but this is not the time of year to drink milk there the boy ran and kissed his mother whose formal permission had to be first obtained but gabrielle readily gave it it only took a few minutes to make the needful changes in roger's dress that he might be fit to accompany his father and then gaston very proud of himself in his new role which was one in which he was by no means blasé went off holding his little son by the hand gabrielle had had no hesitation about letting her husband leave her paris was no longer a dangerous place for him full of her new confidence notwithstanding some obstinate resistance in her heart she would have let her gambler go back even to the card table so happy was she to feel sure that he was not guilty so glad was she to know that his worst vice was love of play as soon as she found herself alone she seized the newspaper ran to the salon flung herself into an easy chair before the fire and searched for the paragraphs she was anxious to find she had no need to search long by a happy chance the paper was folded so as to leave on the outside part of the sheet the various facts on which she wished for information monsieur Henrion had been right the paper was full of the murder all paris was talking about it it announced that thanks to the prompt measures taken by the law 
or rather by the police the murderer had been arrested and committed to mazas and that morning would be probably confronted with the body of his victim he was an upholsterer living in boulogne a relation of the deceased they mentioned the disappointment he had suffered relative to the inheritance which had all fallen to the man who had been murdered at his house a sum of money in banknotes had been found which had been part of the sum received by pierre and what was still greater proof they had found the hammer which had probably been used to commit the deed the paper which boasted of the most correct information added that its reporter had been allowed to see the hammer it described it it explained that it was a kind of hammer used only by upholsterers it added that it was thought probable it would correspond with the wounds in the skull as described in the report of the doctors gabrielle read this article several times over there was no possibility of mistake there it was in plain print nobody could have had all these details inserted only to mislead her it was the truth she was amazed that it did not make her more happy she was sure she ought to be happy what further doubt could remain it seemed as if she could not concentrate her attention on the columns of the newspaper in vain she saw in vain she weighed the words of the announcement she could not reconcile the discoveries of the police with her own impressions but after all her grounds of suspicion against her husband had been so very vague they had been so swollen by her own imagination which at all times so easily ran away with her because gaston had come home with considerable winnings and a broken cane she had concluded immediately after the visit of the agent of police that he a man in good society had hidden himself in the bois de boulogne waylaid knocked down killed and robbed a miserable drunkard it was simply absurd the agents of the police had been more reasonable from the first they had set out to look for the person most interested in the death of the man murdered the man had been discovered and arrested they said in the paper that the man suspected had made admissions very likely as they had evidence enough to bring the deed home to him he might easily have been induced to make a full confession or perhaps it would be postponed till the accumulation of evidence forced him to admit his guilt after his being confronted with the body which was announced to take place that day and which in fact had taken place before she read the paper the man's sense of guilt would no doubt betray him i will send and buy an evening paper thought madame monterey it will probably contain an account of what took place at the morgue then it will all be over i will have an explanation with gaston and find out why he gave me such a horrible fright as she thought thus gabrielle was seated before her fire mending it with the tongs and still stirring about the ashes as if looking for something when suddenly she stopped and put the tongs back in their place i believe i am crazy she said to herself they have found the hammer that did the deed there is no use in my finding the other one or even looking for it what agitated her now was that she felt the singular connection between the circumstance that the man killed had been struck on the head with a hammer and that her husband who had had a mere accidental meeting with the deceased for an hour or so had had any object in hiding his cane in the first place and looking for and recovering a hammer of the same description in the ashes but after all if the murderer were really in prison at mazas there was no reason for her to dispute the evidence all she had to fear was imaginary 
Gabrielle tried to find out the prisoner's name, but the paper did not give it her. That seemed to her rather alarming. How would the name have helped her? It could tell her nothing more than what she knew. And yet this ignorance or this reserve worried her. She would have liked to read it in big letters, to engrave it on her memory, to write it on her heart. This fatal name was necessary. Its absence was strange. Without it, her security was not complete. Why had the police, which puts everything in the papers, not mentioned the man's name, if it were known? All of a sudden, a puff of air, as it were, seemed to come from without and set the poor wife's former fancies in a glow. She felt a fire raging in her head and in her bosom. Did it not often happen when a case was difficult that the police, the better to get hold of the guilty party, began by putting him off his guard? And, to this end, did it not have paragraphs put into the papers, saying that the author of the crime was in their hands, while all the time they had no clue to him? The criminal, misled by these assurances, often had been known to fall into the snare. Ha! Oh, my God, she thought, if Gaston, mad, reckless, and presumptuous, believing himself safe, should go and compromise himself by his assurance— and so fall into the net laid for him by the police, what madness it had been to let him go out that afternoon. Then Gabrielle, carried away by this fear, as if mounted on a hippogriff, made a journey for several hours through clouds that blinded her and took her breath away. It was the strangest, the most unreal expedition. She fancied that Gaston might be followed in the street through the Champs-Élysées to the Bois de Boulogne if, led by the invisible lodestone which is said to lure criminals to the spot where their crime has been committed, he should venture into that alley in the bois where the foul deed was done. Do what she would, she could not free herself. So atrocious a suspicion as the one she had conceived against her husband cannot enter the heart of a woman with impunity. It leaves an incurable wound that even a future knowledge of his innocence does not entirely cure. The possibility of being able to doubt is as painful as doubt itself. Gabrielle made believe that she was shocked at herself for having suspected Gaston, for having done despite to her own conjugal affection, for having outraged a man of the education and position of Monsieur de Monterey. But from time to time the truth broke in upon her, with an awful sense of justice, that it was her husband who was really to blame for her mistrust or rather that her suspicion was due to his character. That of a spoiled child, weak till he was forgetful of all dignity, violent when roused by passion, and then oblivious of all propriety. Gaston and his boy had not been gone an hour before Gabrielle began to feel that their absence had been long, and to get impatient for their return from their walk. She was sorry to have sanctioned it. She was sorry she had not gone with them, she might have been on the lookout for danger. She might have helped them to avoid it. Several times she was tempted to go out, too, to rush after them, to join them, to bring them back, and then she grew ashamed of her anxiety. She punished herself for it by keeping quiet, by obliging herself to wait, to bear her anguish and be still. By degrees she fell into that stupor that vaguely resembles sleep and which is really the imperceptible, monotonous fermentation of great mental suffering. She was in this state about twilight, when the manservant came in and informed her that a woman wanted to speak to her. Who is she, and what does she want? 
asked Madame de Monterey languidly. She says Madame does not know her. She wants to see her for something very particular. Gabrielle, much surprised, rose from her easy chair and, looking at the servant, said, Is she a beggar? Oh, no, Madame. Gabrielle felt some impatience at being thus disturbed. Ask her to tell you at least what she wants to see me for. She did not ask for Madame at first. It was only when I told her that Monsieur was out and would not be back before dinner that she asked if Madame were in. An unknown woman asking for Gaston? What was the meaning of that? Madame de Monterey felt uneasy. Tell her to come in, she said quickly. She rose from her chair, and while the man went to show in the woman in question, Gabrielle passed her hands over her hair to smooth its braids, looked at herself eagerly in the glass to see what she looked like and to compose her features, and readjusted the waist of her dress, not out of feminine coquetry, nor to produce any effect upon the visitor, but from an instinct of prudence that she might not be taken off her guard, and as a precaution that she might be armed with everything that tends to self-possession. The idea that her husband had been asked for awakened her anxiety. Madame Jean Mortier was shown into the salon. She also was well armed. She was dressed carefully and correctly. As we know, she wished to have nothing in her appearance that would plead for pity. On her first entrance, nothing showed that her visit was of grave importance except her pallor. Emilienne was resolved to keep her face from showing suffering, since she was secure in her own certainty of her husband's honor. She was too fully resolved to save him, too proud of their mutual affection, not to be able to force her eyes into a steady gaze and her mouth to refrain from trembling. But she had no power to control the blood in her veins. It oppressed her on her chest. And, besides, she herself was not aware that she was so pale. The moment Gabrielle saw this delicate and pretty woman, very well-dressed and respectable, she was more than ever puzzled, but she was less afraid. She came forward a few steps to meet Emilienne with a sort of bend that was not exactly a courtesy. Emilienne bowed and forced herself to smile. I was told, madame, that you asked for Monsieur de Monterey, said Gabrielle. That is true, but perhaps you, madame, in his absence, could give me the information I am in search of. Gabrielle made a sign of consent which meant, please go on. The first words seemed difficult to utter. Ever since early morning, Emilienne had been speaking and pleading without embarrassment. But Gabrielle's beauty and grace, and, above all, her reserve, which she mistook for a prejudice against herself, frightened her. She did not know how to begin. At last she said, without choosing her words, I am Jean Mortier's wife. This conveyed no information to Gabrielle. Emilienne had supposed that everyone in Paris must know her husband's name. Madame de Monterey, however, without knowing why, felt reassured by the name. It was probably that of one of her husband's creditors. Would she ever get to the end of them? She supposed that she was going to hear of some debt concealed from her. She would pay it, or promise to pay it, and the visit would be over. She pointed to a chair for Emilienne and sat down again. After a short silence, Madame Mortier went on. You have probably heard, Madame, of the great misfortune that happened two days ago in the Bois de Boulogne? Gabrielle had not expected this. She gave a little sound as if of a fright and turned toward her visitor with an eagerness that would have betrayed her if Emilienne had had any reason to attribute her behavior to anything 
but a natural repugnance to the presence of the wife of a suspected murderer she blushed yes i have stammered madame de monterey nervously clasping both arms of her chair emilienne went on in a sadder voice then you did not know that the man who was killed was named mortier no replied gabrielle though her teeth seemed to clatter in her head i am the wife of the man who was killed gabrielle said this in a hoarse voice leaning back in her chair as she said it no madame said emilienne finishing her sentence of the innocent man accused of having killed his cousin by an unconscious movement stronger than fear and which resembled sudden sympathy gabrielle leaned forward to emilienne and drew her armchair toward her innocent she said yes madame as innocent as monsieur de monterey gabrielle seemed to smile she shook her head and responded with some boldness moved by the frightful irony of madame mortier's words and yet the morning papers were full of minute details of the murder minute and correct it is true but all they say proves nothing gabrielle wanted to hear everything and to discuss it but she dared not she felt that it would be wiser to restrain the desire to know which raged within her i do not see she said slowly and politely how we can be of any service to you oh mon dieu resumed emilienne with her voice of gentle grief but firm with all its gentleness you will not perhaps be able to help me to make clear to others the truth that now lies hid and i need no discovery for myself only it was my duty to come here as i have been to other places if you cannot give me any information i shall at least thank you madame for the kindness you have shown in answering me and i will go my way i am sorry monsieur de monterey is not at home i can tell you almost the same things that he would tell you i am perfectly informed about them i heard my husband telling what he knew about it to the agent of the police it is about his having met in a restaurant the man who is killed is it not yes madame they told me to come here well what would you like to know it seems that cousin pierre very imprudently displayed indeed emptied his pocketbook on the table that he showed a great roll of banknotes that is true replied gabrielle who was leaning one hand heavily upon her knee being afraid her visitor might see it tremble my husband told me so it seems also that the poor man was half tipsy there were some women there that night have they not been examined asked madame de monterey who was not pleased by an allusion to the women who had been present at the supper ah if they could only have put them to the torture cried emilienne with a flash of implacable detestation all of a sudden darting from her black eyes i have been to see them she added bitterly you i would go to see anybody if it would do any good to save jean i would walk barefoot over a furnace at the restaurant they gave me the address of these women i went to see them i questioned them i don't know if they told me the truth they could only tell me what i already knew they told me pierre displayed with ostentation the contents of his pocket-book he paid for them then after that they went away or they say so but is this true and if i could find any pretext to get them arrested i would not hesitate once in prison they might be frightened into telling all but the police decline to arrest any more people now that they have my husband of mazas 
Emilienne's eyes were dry, but she passed her hand over her mouth as if to wipe some moisture away. "'What led to your husband's arrest?' asked Gabrielle timidly. "'The notary, who knew about the will, they went to him first. I went there, too, yesterday. He is not a hard-hearted man. He told me all that was said in his office and overheard by his clerks and himself. My husband was in despair at getting nothing from his uncle. For you know there was a will.' I know. We wished too much for that legacy. That wish brought us bad luck. We were ruined. We thought we were on the eve of finding ourselves without bread or shelter. But it is no reason, because one has exhausted all resources, that one should commit a crime. No, murmured Gabrielle. Jean might have killed himself. Perhaps had not the recollection of his little girl and of me kept him from suicide. Yes, I have a little girl, madame. She is just three, poor little dear. Well, if Jean had been tempted to commit a crime, one look of hers into her father's face would have stopped him. But there was no danger. Ah, madame, if you only knew what a night he spent. He dared not come home. He wandered about like a madman all night in the bois. And that is one of the things that they say tell against him. I had a terrible night, too. You cannot understand what it is, madame, to sit up all night for a husband who does not come home. Gabrielle here could not help moving her head gently to make Emilienne feel that she understood. Madame Mortier went on. I said to myself all that night, something dreadful has happened. My presentiment was right, but it was Jean, I thought, that it would happen to. I did not go to bed all night. I came down into the street very early in the morning. I wish I had come down earlier and had gone to find him in the bois. Who knows? Perhaps I might have met or scared away the murderer. Perhaps I might have come up just at the time he was attacking our cousin. I might have seen him. I might have hindered him. Something would have drawn me to the spot. After a while, Jean came home, tired, discouraged, but not like a guilty man. I should have seen it in his face. When one loves one's husband, one reads him like a book. You know that, don't you, madame? Yes, I know it, Gabrielle ventured to say, in a tone which to other ears might seem sincere, but which to herself had a ring of irony. If you had only seen him kiss his little daughter and kiss me, there is a witness who can testify to that. When a man has committed such a crime, don't you suppose he would be afraid to put his lips to his wife's cheek or to his child's forehead? Say, madame... Gabrielle here remembered that Gaston had not dared to kiss her lips, that he had only kissed her hands, but on the other hand, he had taken his little boy out walking. What Madame Jean Mortier was telling her made Madame de Monterey in some ways more alarmed than ever, and in others it gave her relief. Sometimes she felt as if in the presence of danger, and the next moment some of her terror seemed to have passed away. She felt an attraction, a sympathy for the young wife about her own age, who was exhibiting a courage equal to her own, who had the same feelings, and who might be equally unhappy, though on one point there was a difference in her favor. Madame Mortier confidently believed her husband innocent. Poor woman, she said to Emilienne, putting out her hand, but not daring to take that of her visitor. The upholsterer's wife either did not observe or did not comprehend this sign of friendliness, or else, out of respect, she would not accept that proof of Christian charity. She went on with a little pride in her tone. Yes, I am much to be pitied, but I should be more so if I did not know my husband was not guilty. 
when you suffer an injustice you have something within yourself that prevents your being totally miserable then you have not the very smallest doubt of his innocence madame de monterey ventured to say ah madame can a wife doubt the husband whom she loves and who she knows loves her oh that is no sure reason said gabrielle softly trying to smile among you people of the world perhaps not madame your gentlemen have almost all of them some little secret vice which though you do not know it makes you fear they lose money at cards they go to late suppers as your husband did that evening but among us lesser people strong love is the guarantee for everything jean is no gambler he never goes to the cafe he never told me a lie in his life i should be unworthy of his love if i could suspect him of deceiving me gabrielle felt bitterly jealous of emilienne's confidence in her husband she also felt some surprise and secret terror as she wondered why jean mortier's wife so clear-headed and so capable of reasoning did not accuse men who did gamble who did frequent cafes who did tell lies to their wives of the crime of which she felt her own husband was incapable then as if madame de monterey's thoughts had revealed themselves upon her face and as if madame mortier had read them there the little woman said suddenly had it not been for the notary and the things he told of hearing they might just as well have arrested those gentlemen and have accused your husband as mine gabrielle drew herself up a movement which misled emilienne excuse me for supposing such a thing she said hastily with some confusion but indeed the sight of twenty-five thousand francs ah did the poor man have twenty-five thousand francs about him asked gabrielle yes madame deducting what he had spent it was a prize that might have tempted a fashionable gambler a waiter at the restaurant told me that the gentlemen at supper had been joking about it among themselves because one of them had lost a great deal of money that evening gabrielle had an inspiration that was my husband he had been unlucky at his club she said with a smile that passed slowly over her lips and disconcerted madame mortier i thought it had been one of the others she said they gave me his address Emilienne pulled a bit of paper out of her pocket, opened it, and read, Monsieur de Arbois. It was to recover herself, rather than to bring on any explanations, that she introduced this memorandum, this name, into what she was saying, for she was sorry to have made any allusion to M. de Monterey's losses at play, and thus to have probably displeased the kind lady who had received her so kindly, and who was giving her all her attention gabrielle too was anxious to get away from this episode why have you not been to see monsieur d'arbois i did go but he had just set out on a long journey gabrielle wiped away a drop of moisture on her forehead which emilienne had not noticed and very gently but impressively said did it never occur to you that he was running away yes frankly i should have thought so perhaps if i had not found out that he had gone to inherit a fortune and besides he must have heard that my husband was arrested and after that if he was guilty he would not have gone off in such haste he would have felt himself in safety very true still all may not be ended even for him what do you mean the notary has the numbers of some of the stolen notes gabrielle thought she should certainly faint the moisture stood out over her face happily it was nearly dark the two women were talking in a room that was growing every moment darker and saw each other only by the firelight 
madame de monterey stooped down and made it burn up brighter when she had picked up and settled the fallen brands upon the hearth she straightened herself and felt that she had regained her courage do you think she said that those numbers alone will lead to the arrest of the guilty person unless the robber warned in time should burn the stolen money what is likely to warn him ah i don't know said emilienne you are right madame it would need some chance those men who change gold for notes don't generally take the addresses of people who come to them to change money even supposing the police had warned the money changers do you suppose they have been warned yes no doubt but unfortunately the notary had kept the numbers of only three of the notes only three gabrielle looked down at the ashes on her hearth she was saying to herself that she had burned only two thousand franc notes ah if she could only that very moment get at the numbers kept by the notary but continued madame jean mortier eagerly it will be too long a time for me to wait for a mere chance if i set my hopes upon that only they will have plenty of time to sentence my husband and to here she made a terrible gesture with her hand and shut her eyes as if she saw the vision of a scaffold gabrielle trembled she had not before thought of the guillotine and yet that must be the end of it there were two minutes silence the two women bowed their heads under a sense of the same terror gabrielle looked up first she felt anger against madame mortier who instead of bringing her certainty and reassurance on all points had only added to her troubles she became colder and less friendly as she said did they not find in your house some of the money stolen that was a mistake of the reporters replied madame mortier firmly there was nothing found in our house but money we had received and the envelope of a letter in which our cousin had sent us two thousand francs when did he send them to you i don't know gabrielle's mouth had an expression of incredulity she thought the answer compromised the upholsterer Emilienne told of the arrival of the envelope the great joy with which it had been received the debt she had paid at once and of course she repeated her husband's account of how he had come to write his own address on an envelope belonging to the notary gabrielle gave a selfish sigh of relief the evidence seemed to her to be compromising the upholsterer more and more the police must have considered it very improbable she said in a slow voice which madame mortier felt to be very cruel that your cousin would have sent two thousand francs in that way to you in the middle of the night why should he not have given this money with his own hand to your husband at the notary's if it had not appeared improbable said emilian simply would my husband have been arrested but it is the truth and that is why i will never give up i shall never be weary then gabrielle was guilty of an imprudence she threw out a challenge to the touching trustfulness of the wife the hope that was becoming uppermost in her own heart overexcited her are you perfectly sure that he told you the truth she asked insinuatingly emilienne darted a glance at her from her dark eyes piercing and bright as the sparkle of a diamond yes she cried and it is true then taking her revenge she turned boldly on madame de monterey don't you love your husband if you did you would understand me great love sometimes inspires great illusions no madame it is false love that inspires them replied emilienne whose remark showed more fine discrimination delicacy and psychology than that of the woman of the world when one lives in falsehood 
one accepts what is false as an excuse but the true demand the truth and they know it when they find it since i love my husband truly he cannot make me doubt him nor would he deceive me gabrielle was more than put down in argument by this answer there was that in it which jarred upon her doubts and her anxieties she went on almost mercilessly the papers also mention that they have found a hammer yes madame my husband's hammer a steel hammer which he always carries about with him ah, it was a fatal circumstance that he had it with him that day a fatal circumstance indeed said gabrielle shaking her head what could you call it but a fatal circumstance cried emilienne an accident well do so if you please but i swear to you madame that that hammer is as pure from blood-stains as my husband that must be known by this time must it not if the hammer fits the wounds exactly well suppose it does if all appearances were against him if they were heaped up piled up to overwhelm him i tell you madame i should still know that jean was innocent there is something stronger than appearances stronger than circumstances and that is the impossibility that jean is guilty emilienne had risen and seemed to have grown taller her mouth trembled her pale cheeks were flushed with a faint color her eyes gleamed like lightning they shone in that dim room with a brightness brighter than the light of the fire she moved the heart of madame de monterey which was very easily stirred but she did not succeed in convincing her for gabrielle was resolved not to be convinced she had suffered too much herself not to be mistrustful of a wife's faith in her husband she admired the simple woman radiant with conjugal affection but she compared her own daily suffering love to this love triumphant and from experience and also with heroic resolution she refused to admit that love was enough to enable a woman to see into the conscience of a lover or a husband i pity you she said with a deep compassion yes but do you not believe him innocent as i do i am forced to make some account of the very grave presumptions and the proofs the money and the hammer her voice failed her as she uttered the last word she looked into the fire you will not admit then said emilienne in a plaintive voice for her energy now needed a moment's respite you will not admit that our unfortunate cousin may have regretted his want of kindness and have taken pity upon us it is possible and it is also possible that your husband may have used the envelope to turn aside suspicion emilienne grew agitated and clasped her hands is it not possible too she cried impetuously without changing her form of interrogation that there may have been other hammers of the same shape as my husband's hammer of course just as it is possible and it also seems probable that your husband may have made use of his and it is possible said madame mortier that there may have been other men wandering by night in the bois yes and your husband was wandering there all night ah madame cried emilienne deeply wounded by her words why should you want to persuade me that my husband is guilty gabrielle did not falter you see that you yourself are beginning to admit a doubt she said in the same tone i suffer but i do not doubt it is not willingly that i have made you suffer why was there a tremolo in gabrielle's voice as she excused herself in these words you only add another pain to those that are mine already replied emilienne and suddenly her voice trembled as if keeping back her tears it would not have astonished me to hear such language from monsieur de monterey men may think hard things and be the dupes of appearances but a woman a wife a mother 
I should think, might understand. Her dignity, which increased as she said these words, somewhat subdued Gabrielle. She, too, felt her eyes filling with tears. It was no longer dangerous for her to give way to her feelings. Jean Mortier was so manifestly the murderer. If his wife, by a touching mistake, persisted in thinking him innocent, it was surely for Madame de Monterey to sympathize with her. And with this pity for the faith of a love great as her own, though very different in its character, there was mingled an involuntary sense of gratitude to the wife of the murderer. To her, Gabrielle would owe all the peace of her future life. She might very well in return give her such consolation as she was able. She took Emilienne's hands and drew her toward her. Do not let us discuss it, she said softly. I will help you. To find him who is guilty? To save your husband. But I want to save his honor, too, madame. In saving his life, you may save everything. You make me that offer of help out of mere charity, not because you believe in his innocence. I make you the offer from the bottom of my heart. Emilienne struggled against her sense of gratitude. How can you expect me to accept it if, in your inmost heart, you think my husband is a murderer? Gabrielle persisted both in her sympathy for the wife and her conviction with regard to the husband. I do not judge, Monsieur Mortier, she said, but if it were my duty to judge him, I should say to myself that you love him, that you are a brave, good woman, full of honorable feeling and of courage, and besides a tender mother. I should think of you and of your little girl, and without excusing the man who may be guilty, I should deeply pity him. I should persuade myself that love for you and his sudden stroke of misfortune had made him crazy. Emilienne drew away from her and wiped her eyes. No, madame, no, you cannot help me. I thank you for your compassion for myself, but if I prove my husband's innocence, I shall not need it. Ah, then you might well envy me, but I will not permit a rich woman like you, out of mere compassion for an unhappy wife and mother, to take under her protection a man she can think capable of so great a crime. You are very wrong, murmured Gabrielle. But think of it, resumed Emilienne, growing fierce with rising anger. If they say truth, Jean must have basely followed his cousin, have waylaid him in the wood, and struck him dead. He must have bent over his warm and bleeding corpse, felt in his pockets, robbed him. Don't you see the scene before you, madame? That horrible scene? Just imagine your own husband an actor in it. Gabrielle saw the scene as Emilienne described it. The horrible vision danced before her eyes. The muscles of her face began to twitch. It seemed to her that she saw Gaston, drunk, crazy, striking at arm's length a man whose face she had never seen, but who now appeared to her in a mask of blood. She stretched out her closed hands, which Emilienne had rejected a few minutes before. "'Oh, hush! Oh, hush!' she cried. "'If I could suppose that my husband had acted thus,' resumed Emilienne, "'I should feel myself his accomplice because I had not done all I could to stimulate his conscience.' but I need not prove he is no murderer because I know that I never could have killed. First prove to me that he never has loved me and does not love his daughter. Ah, that would be to slander love and motherhood, since then the wife and child would not have had power to hold back his hand from murder, would not have put into his heart a horror of crime, if not the fear of God. No, madame, if you do not believe in his innocence when you see me believe in it, 
You cannot and you ought not to try to help me. You are very obstinate, said Gabrielle with pleading gentleness. Forgive me, madame, but it seems to me only natural that I should refuse protection, which irritates my very soul. If I could have convinced you, I should not decline, for you are kind-hearted, madame. You are a mother as I am, and I feel something within me that draws me toward you. You, too, no doubt, have to bear your troubles and your sorrows. I see that you can shed tears. Yes, exclaimed Gabrielle, carried away by her generosity. Yes, I know what it is to weep. Oh, I beseech you, let me join with you. I have no tears. I will not shed any, said Emilienne quickly. It was politeness made me forget my resolution. Thank you for your kindness. I do not wish to presume on it. The papers will tell you if I succeed. But in refusing the offers you have made me, I do not give up the hope of saving my husband. You do not know as yet, and I am but beginning to learn what human justice is. It is no use to try and move the judges to the end that they may set my husband free. It is not that I want. I want proofs, proofs of Jean's innocence. When I remember that there lives a fiend, a wretch, who robbed the man he killed, who knows from the papers that Jean has been arrested, that a hammer has been seized in our house, and who at this moment is rubbing his hands with glee after having hidden or flung into the river a hammer like that of my husband? Oh, God, my God, help me to find this murderer. It seems to me that, if I could only look upon his face, I should know him. Gabrielle turned toward the parlor door. She fancied she heard footsteps, as if Gaston and her boy were coming home. She did not want Madame Mortier to meet Monsieur de Monterey. Her fears would keep coming back, in spite of her firm belief in the guilt of Jean Mortier. She could not find even a few commonplace words to say. Emilienne took this silence for assent. You see, she said with resignation, that even if I were so weak as to yield to the kindness expressed by you in words, if we found no new clue, if we did not succeed in discovering the true culprit and in bringing him to justice, we should simply have mingled our tears. I will not trouble you any further, since all you can do for me is to pity me, madame. Adieu. She made a courtesy and drew toward the door. Gabrielle detained her by a gesture. At least, let us share the means you hold in reserve to save your husband, she said. I promise you to talk it over with Monsieur de Monterey, and if he tells me anything that could be useful to you, I will send it to you at once. You need not come back, but leave me your address. Ah, uh, and I would also like to know the numbers of the banknotes that were written down by the notary. Gabrielle concealed her anxiety in asking this. Madame Mortier seemed surprised at her wanting them. What's the use? she said. Why, I often have bank notes. From your husband? Yes, I know Monsieur de Monterey must handle a good many at his club. Ah, oh, those gamblers! Gabrielle shivered, but she concealed her emotion. And I have friends who are bankers, she hastened to say. Emilienne pulled out of her bosom a little bit of paper and held it out to Gabrielle. You can't see anything by this light, she said. It was indeed too dark. Madame de Monterey might have lighted a wax candle, but she either did not think of it or did not wish to let light into the room. Oh, I can see well enough, she replied. She stooped down, knelt upon one knee before the fire, and on the other, by the firelight, wrote down in her little memorandum book, which already contained the numbers of the notes destroyed, 
the numbers given her by Emilienne, and also the latter's address. She had shown a vivacity and eagerness in writing this, which, under other circumstances, might have passed for gaiety. "'Thank you,' she said to the poor wife, returning her her paper. "'If I learn anything, I know now where to find you.' "'Ah, try and learn something soon,' sighed Emilienne. "'Meantime,' resumed Madame de Monterey, "'you cannot prevent my praying for you with all my heart.' "'Ah, that I shall be glad of,' said the upholsterer's wife meekly. "'Though I have no need,' she added, recovering herself, "'to be told to take my trials myself to God.' Gabrielle was sorely tempted to say, "'While I pray for you, will you pray for me?' But she was afraid to make this request, as if it might seem like hypocrisy, to ask Amelian's prayers, to hope that the poor woman might bring her good fortune, was assuredly not uniting with her in what was for her own good. It was asking a sacrifice. The hopes of the one seemed horribly dependent on the fears of the other. Madame Mortier retired. As the salon had grown dark, especially in the farther parts of it, where the reflection of the fire, not very bright, did not extend, Madame de Monterey, in order to prevent Emilienne from knocking herself against the furniture, took her hand and led her toward the door. Emilienne allowed her to retain it. She could not well resist this passing union, never guessing that it was a sign and a symbol. The antechamber had been lighted up. The two women there looked at each other each wishing to preserve the external expression of feeling that had been mingled, outraged, understood, and misunderstood during their interview. They bowed to each other and exchanged sad smiles. The smile of Gabrielle was a promise. The smile of Emilienne asked pardon for refusing the other's kindness and was a sign of gratitude for the reception accorded her by Madame de Monterey. End of chapter 12 Recording by Diana Beauvais